0: you guys can go ahead and take a seat. Uh, we're going to jump straight into God's Word today. So if you don't have a Bible, why don't you raise your hand and keep it raised really high, and then someone will be able to give you a copy of God's Word. Um, if you, and then um, also, if you do have a Bible, meet us at Romans chapter 1. This is the last week we'll be in Romans chapter 1. So again, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, keep it raised really high. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we're handing out so that you can have a copy of God's Word. This is our gift to you. And if you do own a Bible, but you forgot it, go ahead and keep your hands raised. We'll be on page 610, 611, um, and just make sure you put it back um, where the books are. Um, as you turn to Romans chapter 1, um, a couple things I want to just put before you. First, along with Mother's Day today, uh, we also have pictures for all the families, as promised. So as soon as the service is over, just hang out for a while. Um, when you go out of the doors to the left here in the grassy area where the kids usually run around, um, there will be people there that take your pictures, and then you'll, give, um, you'll get information where you can go and download those pictures for free. And so, again, moms, if you're here, grandmothers, if you're here with your families, go ahead and take that time. Um, and as you hang out, just feel free to introduce yourselves to people that you don't know. Uh, second thing is I want to say congratulations to all of our uh, recent ASU grads that have graduated this past weekend. Congratulations. <laughs> And, and even a, a somewhat of a graduation congratulations to those of you who may have graduated from U of A as well. That counts, just not as much. So, but it counts. Uh, last thing is uh, we have two of our pastors, so two of our elders, Ryan Arneson and, and Jim Mullins. They are en route as we speak right now in the air on the way to China. Uh, the reason why they're going to China is it's an opportunity for us to begin conversations and a relationship of us as a congregation begin to do some work there, uh, primarily in an organization called ELIC. It's an English learning training uh Um, school for um, Asian students who are learning uh, English. And so we have one member of our church who's been there for about a year and a half now, and so Ryan and Jim are there to meet with them and understand the program. Now, you'll hear more about this when they get back, but the primary reason why we did this is we're looking at how can we do um, mission in the sense of not local mission, but overseas with something that will connect here locally. And we see that our biggest um, number, uh, population of international students at ASU are from Asia. And then the fastest growing demographic and demographic uh, ethnic group in Phoenix is also uh, Asian. So we thought, okay, what can we do there? And this opportunity came up and they wanted to fly them out there. And so they are there. So as you think of them and their families, they are gone on Mother's Day, which I didn't say leave on Mother's Day. They did, just to let you know. Not that bad of a boss. Um, so think of their wives and their children as they're here and just be praying for them that God's blessing uh, would be upon them. When they get back from China, we'll make sure they'll bring them up here so they can give us a better understanding on, on how that trip went and then what it could possibly look like for us in the future to be doing some work in China. Um, it's all after announcements, so let's jump into God's Word. Romans chapter 1. If you are just joining us, and um, this is your first time here, which makes sense, uh, primarily because it is being a baby dedication day that you're here. Uh, we are excited that you're here. You are joining us in week 6 of a 70-week long ser- uh, series that we're going to be looking at the book of Romans and studying this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Uh, So far, we've seen that Paul has presented the gospel in the first uh, 15 verses, first 17 verses. And then we're looking at essentially verses 18 through 32 for three weeks. Uh, Four weeks, actually. We looked at the wrath of God being revealed. Um, That was beginning in verse 18, saying his wrath is currently being revealed. And the reason why his wrath is being revealed is because we, every single person by nature and by choice, have rejected him. Um, from there, we saw that it, was, it went to uh, primarily sexual sins. And we looked at two weeks uh, looking at that. And then today, Paul wraps up in verses 28 uh, through 32 with just more bad news. And so, so far, it's been, it's bad, it's bad, and today it's getting worse. And so that's what we're looking at uh, this, this this Mother's Day morning, all right? Um, and, and in fact, I'm going to go ahead and read the scripture, um, and then we'll pray and we'll look at God's word, verses twenty-eight. And since they did not see, th- excuse me. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. "...foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them." Um, one of the reasons we normally read scripture before we get in this, one of the reasons why we didn't do that is we were going to read scripture and then go into baby dedications. And we thought, we don't really want to talk about, hey, you know, you know your kids are haughty and they're boastful, and they're arrogant. They're haters of God. Mothers, fathers, could you bring your kids up? and would be dedicated for like, no. It's but just by listening to the, to the text, you can, you can feel the weight. Like Paul is trying to say, okay, we've looked at sexual sin, but we're, it's not just sexual sin. It's sin in general. Like, like this thing is a problem, and it's a major problem. So, so going back to week three, the way we, we start off was by saying if we went to the doctor and they gave us an improper diagnost- diagnosis of our issue and they begin to medicate it or fix it, and we realize we had a bigger problem than that, then we realize that, that, that that's not good news. And for most of us, we would naturally say, yeah, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect, but I'll get better. And Paul is saying it's way worse than that. That The condition of the human heart is way worse than that. And what Paul gets to at this point now when we, when we begin to look at verses 28 all the way to verses 32 and wrap up this, this, uh, this chapter is he begins to say that not only is sin just individual, but he says there's, there's, there's kind of the, the descent of depravity, essentially. That it starts in the mind. And then from the mind, it's not just individually, but it, from the mind, it goes into society. So not only our thinking, but also it, it affects the society around us. And then not only the society, but it affects our community. So the relationships in which we have. And so again, from the thinking, all the way to society, and from society even down to the friends that we make and how we treat those friends, the things we do within that community. And so that's what we'll pick up uh, this morning, um, looking at the text. But before we do, is just... Uh, we have Mother's Day, I got a few of my mom's favorite sayings here. Uh, so let me give you some context on this. My, my mom is uh, originally from Mississippi, so real southern. And so a lot of these, a lot of these things are real just kind of southern, southern things, but they've stuck with me. All of, all of us have had mother, mothers who just say things. As kids, you go, I don't know what that means, but thanks for saying it, right? For, first one is, this actually meant a lot, was if you quit now, you'll quit forever. Mom would always say that. And it started off when I was in fourth grade, I, I, and my school had an honor choir. We had to try out to be in this choir. Um, and somehow they put me in this choir. They didn't have enough guys, and so me and my friends tried out, and they're like, you're in, right? We couldn't hold a note to save our life, but somehow we got in. Well, as soon as we started going to this, this practice, it was on minimum day, and our friends were playing basketball and swimming. We're like, we did like, don't want to sing. And so we tried to quit. Well, I was like, boy, it was always boy, too. If you quit now... You'll quit forever So I appreciate that Because now I know not to quit Because if I quit now I'll keep quitting The second one was one of my favorites <laughs> A hard head makes for a soft butt Alright And some of you know exactly what that means If you keep If you, you a hard head And you keep acting hard headed You're going to get What we would call then A whooping or a spanking Right um, Now they call that child abuse um, Back then they just called it discipline Right Times have changed uh, this is another one's real southern she'd always say boy you must not believe that fat meat is greasy right and uh here, here here's how this rolls right so, so let me just, just unpack this for a little bit just some exegesis on my mom's wisdom is uh my fat meat is greasy we know that, right my mom would look and say you don't see the absolute obvious she would tell me not to do something boy if you do that here's the consequences and i would do it anyway huh you must not believe that meat is greasy. Watch what happens, right? It's always consequences, reactions. And then this last one here, she'd say, if you lie, you'll cheat, and you'll steal. And the whole purpose of the sand that is saying, sin doesn't just happen in isolation. There's not just one bad decision that we make, and then that's it. But she's, if you lie, you'll cheat, you'll steal. What she was communicating is, sin is pervasive. It's comprehensive. It continues to grow. It's something that we are naturally addicted to. Like, we are born into this world. We are predisposed to be sinners. And I know that's not usually fun to hear, especially on Mother's Day, but it's a truth. And if anybody knows it, it's moms, right? And so we, we we are predisposed predisposed to this. Man, we are born this way, right? And we, <laughs> we come out this way, and my, my mom's communicating as it grows. And it's with that that last saying, my mom, that I believe that the Apostle Paul has been trying to drive into our minds. In fact, if you could just summarize, well down verses 18 through 32, here's what Paul is essentially saying. He uses these these words. Uh, First, in in verses 23 and 25, he says, first there's an exchange that happens. And that word exchange comes up. One, we've exchanged the glory of God or the weight and importance of God for things of, of mortal images. So that's idolatry. That we begin to worship uh, human approval and control and power, uh, comfort. We begin to look to other things, good things, that we make the main things. And so there's an exchange. And Paul also says that there's an exchange of the truth about God for a lie. And so there's the dissent. And then in verses 27, he uses the word consumed. That now that our desires and our passions, which should be uh, leading towards God, rolling up into praise and worship and all that we do, because we've rejected him and we suppressed his truth, now our desires and our passions are bent on everything else other than God. And that we are consumed with these passions. And these passions begin to take, us, take over us. And we saw that in the last two weeks, primarily looking at sexual sin. So exchange, consume, and then in verse 28, we'll see this, this, this morning is filled. And it says we are filled with a manner, all manner of unrighteousness. And so we've exchanged God. We've been consumed now apart from God with our own desires. And we are filled now with unrighteousness. And then from that, we said when God's wrath is being revealed, the current wrath of God now presently is not what we would normally think with fire or hell storms or things like that. Um, But the worst thing that God could do is let you be who you would normally be apart from his sovereign loving intervention. And so in verses 24, and then Paul says it again in 26, and then he picks it up again this morning in 28, he says the words, therefore, God gave them up response to us suppressing the truth, us saying there is no God, or if there is a God, we don't want to worship him. And the worst thing God could do, is he, ha- he says it three times, Paul's going to boil it down to, is God gave them up, God gave them up, and God gave them up. He let them do what they would normally do apart from his care. And Paul now picks up, in verse 28, wrapping up this section in chapter one by talking about how this sin starts with the mind and our thinking becomes pervasive uh, through the society around us. Beginning in verse 28, starting with the mind and thinking. He says, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up, there it is again, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So here's what Paul was saying here. Um, something happens in your mind But before your mind is given up to debate to be debased or depraved paul says we did not see it fit to acknowledge god The language there that he picks up from 18 to 20 is that we suppress the truth That even if we believe there is a god, we don't want him We want to do what we want to do. We'll make up our rules and we'll go from there And so the language literally means that we didn't approve of god that we didn't approve of his way and all of our life. Meaning, not just our morality, but the totality of our being coming underneath his lordship, his grace, his mercy, and authority. And so he says, since we didn't approve of God, it says God now, um, in his sovereignty, so this is not passively, but actively, God says, okay, I will let you be who you are apart from me. Therefore, he he um, takes, so to say, the restraint off of you, so there's an unrestrained mind. And an unrestrained mind, meaning a mind that is apart from God, he says, now is debased or depraved. The language is, it's a play on word that Paul used here. We did not approve of God, therefore God gave us a disapproved mind. And it starts with our thinking. And he says, within this thinking or with this mind, we now do what ought not to be done. Belief is what he's talking about. He's not just saying we need more information about God. He's not even saying so much that we need uh, intellectual, more intellectual truth about God. And as everything would be in a belief of who God is and his character, his behavior, and his work in his son, Jesus, on the cross, his life, his death, and his resurrection. He said, since we don't believe in that, then we will believe in something else. And belief is always tethered to behavior. Always. When you believe in something, you will act out your belief. Whether it's beautiful and true, like God in the gospel or whether it's not, like anything else apart from that. Um, our, our actions flow from what we believe. And if you want to know what someone believes, look at their actions. Look what they do. You'll, you'll know what their worldview is. Um, even though there may be a confessional belief that we all may have, um, especially those of us who are Christian, we may have a, a, a confession. We may say we believe these things about God. We have this particular worldview about God. But then you look at our life, and it looks completely different past two weeks we've been looking at um, different things, but part of those things is marriage. And marriage for right now for Christians is something we're really, really talking about now in response to kind of what's happening in the homosexual community. And, and all you have to do is say, what, what's your worldview? And we can explain it, we can teach it, we can say, here's the beauty of it. But then you look at our actions, our, our, our behavior and the church, and you go, it's really not that different than the rest of the world. There's a disconnect there. So, so before we look at this list of, of sins that Paul has, and it'd be easy for those of us in this room that are Christians to go, okay, Paul is talking to those who don't believe in God. I'll sit here and maybe invite somebody, maybe get the podcast, have not listened to it, but I'm just going to kick it for like the next, depend how long he goes today, right? And what, 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 what I'm trying to say, and I think what Paul is saying, because he, he's writing this letter to uh, Christians, is um, no one's exempt from this. Your behavior flows from your be- belief, not the other way around you don 't behave a certain way that it get a belief. whatever you believe will shape you and Paul says, if it 's apart from God now, if, if you push him to the curb or you put him on the sidelines, now you have what is called a debased mind, and the lifestyle from that, what flows from that is not good and the worst part about it is we don 't know this oftentimes. this is not something that 's clearly seen at best what we 'll have is as I said earlier. I'm not perfect, I mean, but who is? And so what we have is we think God grades in a curve, right? It's like no one's really up here, everyone's kind of here, and as long as I can kind of do a little bit better than the other person, then I'm okay. I mean, we're good people, I don't want to go and hear all of this sin and, and, and wrath, and what kind of church is this? Gosh, it's Mother's Day, right? I don't want don't to hear that. And, and, and so there, there's this kind of, we, we think we're just okay, um, and, and that's a part of what I would call the moral decay of our of our, of our society. It does start individually, all of us. We're all a part of it, but then our actions flow from that, and we're just, we're just unaware. It, it's, it's what, in modern psychology, I think they call it cognitive dissonance. An, an example of that could be someone who is, is maybe off mentally a little bit, and they, you can find this person um, sometimes in the middle of the dead heat, in 115 degrees, uh, maybe a homeless man or woman that's walking down downtown Phoenix or whatnot, and it's, it's hot, and they still have clothes amongst clothes and jackets on, and they're sweating because there's a disconnect with reality um, that would let them know, hey, it would be cooler if you took off these clothes. Pa- Paul is trying to say, here's what reality is. Um, things are not the way it's supposed to be, and we're going, oh, it's cool. I, I mean, it's, it's hot. That's why I'm putting on jackets, right? Uh, and, and he said, no, 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 it's a, it's a bigger problem than, than that. And, and we don't understand this. And, and speaking to, to this, this reality that when our minds begin to be twisted and we don't worship God, and, and therefore we have a debased mind, we don't see the moral decay in society. John, John Piper has this to say about that. He says, Paul's teaching about why a society degenerates into unrestrained, debauched, destructive evil is unlike any um, analyst, or I always put this word, say it for me. Analysis. You guys are good. Any analysis you would read today. One of the reasons for this is that when a society is sinking to moral decay, one of the traits of that decay is the inability to see what is happening. The social mind becomes so defective in the moral decadence that it doesn't have the categories or framework to recognize evil for what it really is. And what, what Piper is saying here, and is what Paul expresses in the next two verses, is we don't see it, but not only has it affected our thinking individually, now it affects our culture around us. And so when you read this, this list of sin that, that Paul has here, he tries—it's not even an exhaustive list. There's all these things here that, that, that communicates the societal breakdowns. And, and, and you, can, you can break it down into five categories. The first is there's economic disorder. And so if you read me in verse 29, it says, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. That just means any way to not worship God. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. So that first list there. Covetousness is another word for greed. That's the economic um, disorder. There's this greed in, in all of us. And greed carries behind it the idea that not I just want the stuff that I need. I want more of it. I want the most of it. And that we can't satisfy it. And so surely it's uh, materialism, so we buy things and we buy stuff and we buy stuff. It's consumerism, so we're constantly buying more and more and more stuff. And it seeps into every area of our life, including the marketplace, including the family, including the person. And we see this, and it's it's just greed. I want more stuff. And we, we know, whether you're a Christian or not, you know that we live in a very consumeristic world. Our culture is set up in such a way that you have to consume. You have to. Um, you buy things, they break really quick so that you have to buy more things and more things. And the way that they, they teach it even to our kids, right? What do, what, do tele, what do commercials do? They tell people, for the majority of us, who are doing relatively okay, hey, something's wrong with you. Know what you need? You need this. You need a new baseball bat. Hey, kid, your parent doesn't love you. If they really love you, you need dream lights. You need, I mean, whatever the toys may be. And our kids say, hey, like, clearly you don't love me. I got this new PlayStation's coming out. If you love me, you, you'd give me this PlayStation. And then as parents, sometimes we're like, yeah, you're probably right. I'll get it for you tomorrow. Aren't you two? Like, you know, it's like, It's there. Um, Holly and I were at a, a parenting deal Several years ago I don't even know if we even had kids yet And we were hearing the guy, this guy talk about this And, and he was, he was a, a professor on worldview And he was talking about consumerism And how to fight it And so what he would do with his kids is He said he'd let the kids watch TV But every time there was a commercial on They can only watch TV if they said Who do you think you're kidding? Because he knew that they were trying to convince them something And so we taught that to our kids which is which is great because I got a text from the babysitter a couple weeks ago saying uh, we were watching some gross commercial on foot calluses and uh, and then afterwards Noah goes who do you think you're kidding hey they're trying to sell us stuff that we don't need <laughs> and I was like yes and and, and, and then the other the, the other day it was a commercial like on like you know juice or something and he's who do you think you're kidding they're trying to sell us juice and he goes actually we don't have any juice huh? I'm like no we don't he goes never mind we need that. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> he 's thinking critically <laughs> but our, <laughs> our, our culture says we need more, and then, and then we in turn we, we, we grow out of this in greed and so Paul lists this the, the, X one, the next one is it 's social disorder, so you see things like envy and murder and strife and deceit and malice and all these things 're just social things like well, this is not good for the people around us, and it 's not good for us the The, the big one on this list is envy. This is, an, overall, this is just being a hater, right? The essence of being a hater is looking at someone else, wanting what they have, and, um, and hating them because you don't have it, right? Like, it's not going, you know, that's a nice shirt. I wish I had a shirt like that. It's going, that's a nice shirt. I hate you, right? Man, you know, it's people who, like, really want to get married. and like, oh, your marriage looks great. That's why I don't even like you guys, right? And there, there is that. And we we laugh at that, but we all have it. We all have it in us. Whether we grew up and we didn't have a good relationship With our father and our friends would get back From these amazing trips And it's like, what did you do with your dad? Oh, we hiked a mountain, he taught me how to fish Ride a bike, speak a different language It was amazing, my dad's the best And then you're the guy being like, whatever dude, your dad's an idiot And so are you, right? And that, that was kind of like, the, you protect yourself that way And it's envy It's envy, it happens in all of us All of us We see that people have things and we begin to go They don't deserve that Almost because I deserve that. And from envy, it leads to all these other things. Envy actually, most times, leads to murder. And socially, just, I mean, I know you know this, but murder, killing people has never been a good idea. Um, strife, strife is essentially unhealthy competition. Like, there's a healthy competition, right? You have an opponent next to you. It's healthy. Um, unhealthy is when you want to, whether it's in sports, whether it's in business, whatever, it's family versus families, sibling versus sibling, siblings, when you just want to mercilessly destroy the other person, like shame them, like beat them and put them, look at them, I beat them bad over and over and over again. This usually happens in November when ASU beats U of A. And when they don't, we just kind of continue with the word of God, right? Right? this 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 is um this is a social breakdown it's a social breakdown and paul lists that it it affects more than just the individual and then there's relational breakdown now there's anything that's probably common in the church is these sins gossip slanders insolent arrogant boastful like gossiping and slandering i mean that that just jumps out men and women and men and women they do it in different ways and then Christians, you know, as Christians, we will come up with the most clever ways to do things that everybody else does, but in a more Christian way. We do it. We do it, unfortunately, with music sometimes. That's pretty bad. We, we do it with clothing. But in God, we'll go. Oh no, 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 no! That's not gossiping. I just believe you need to know this as someone who loves them in Jesus. Um, here's what they've been doing, right? And, and it's no, if it's gossip, it's gossip. It's rumors about people. Like keep circles tight. It was kind of like what we were talking about last week with people confessing sin. You don't need to stand up in front of your whole community and say, here's my sin, nor do you need to stand up and tell everybody else's. If someone has come to you with something, keep that secret. That The language behind it is that you're whispers, that you're going, yeah, did you hear? Hey, did you hear? And that is a very cultural thing that is seeped into us as Christians. Gossiping is huge. When Jim taught a few weeks ago, he said, look, people make thousands and thousands of dollars off the fact that we know as a society we want to hear what's wrong with people. We naturally Yes, and I think part of that is Is because of the depraved mind Because we do understand at some level Something's not right with me But at least something's not right with her either And she has a lot of money So if I had that money, then it would be fine In fact, that's why I don't like her Because she has something that I don't have I mean, all of these things kind of just wrap up together And then there's not just relational breakdown But there's family breakdown And, and I've said this past few weeks My favorite one here is disobedient to parents Like that's, it seems out of place Like, haters of God disobedient to parents. But I'm glad it's there. And here's why I'm glad it's there. Right now, probably more so than any other time, I don't know, I'm 30. But right now, um, kids do not obey their parents. Now, I get it. Paul wrote this here, because kids have not always obeyed their parents, right? Part of it is, as parents, we do a terrible job at raising our kids. We do it out of fear. What happens is, I don't want my kids to have this happening, so I'm going to do this. I don't want this to happen. I don't want to be my dad. I don't want to be like my mom. And so our whole identity is based off what we don't want to be instead of who we are called to be in God. And what happens is we don't teach our kids authority. The reason why Paul puts us here, I think, is to tell you children, obey your parents. Like, very, very clear. Obey your parents. Is your pastor telling you that? No. God is saying that. And by the way, it's in the list of him talking about wrath. Not trying to scare you. I'm just saying, right here, in God's Bible, right? Obey. Parents, teach your kids authority. I believe that this goes to parents. Teach them authority. Teach them authority. Here's why. What happens is most of what our children learn, most of what we learn, good and bad, it came from the household. If you don't teach your kids how to obey and have your authority, they're going to have authority issues, one, when they go to school. And everyone here is a public school teacher, a Christian school teacher, a charter. You teach kids, you're going, yeah, that's true. They they, They don't listen because they don't have to listen at home. So they negotiate everything at home, and then they try to do it at school. They'll do it when they get jobs, and they'll go from job to job to job, and they'll say things like, oh, it's politics, man. No, not my coach, man. He's, it's not me. It's them. And it's, they're constantly blaming something else, someone else. And then, even more importantly than all that, there's no proper authority before God. And so even though God says things, and our highest degree of authority here is in Scripture, we begin to negotiate that. Okay, that starts in the home. And one of the best things that you can do is just be honest with your kids. And I know you want to love them. Loving them doesn't mean lying to them. One of the best things my mom did, she was honest. One of the best things that she can do for me was being honest. When there were things I couldn't do, she didn't say, oh, you're, you're going to be a champ. No. But for instance, in my family, everyone can sing. Not just somebody. everyone in my entire family, they can just sing. And just really beautiful. And then I think God said, gift, 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 not you. Gift, gift, gift. And like gave it to everybody else, right? What my mom did to me when I was young was very, very good. She pulled me aside, and, and I've shared this. My family calls me Sean, my middle name. And my mom goes, Sean, you, 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 you really can't sing. Here's the football, right? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> like, that's, that's, that's good, we, and I'm get. I don't, I'm not saying we should tear our kids down. We should teach them authority. We should be honest with them. Um, so if not, we'll have a family breakdown. And hear me, when there's a family breakdown, it affects almost everything else. If you've been a coach, if you've been a teacher, if you've, been a, if you've worked in children's ministry, right, you can tell, kids are going to be crazy. Kids are perfect. But you can tell, for the most part, how things go depending on how the parent at home. Because even when they disobey, you're easy, you can easily correct it. They listen to you. They know, oh, that's an authority. I better, I better hide. <laughs> that's authority. I better listen. Um, so I think Paul puts it there. And lastly here in this list, it's not just economic disorder, social disorder, family breakdown, relational breakdown. It's a character breakdown. And Paul uses language in this list like haters of God, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Like, it just keeps getting worse. Um, haters of God highlights this list. And the, char- the biggest character breakdown is unbelief. The biggest one bad dec- and the continuous bad decisions is, is, is an unbelief in God. And when Paul here puts um, an unbelief in God or haters of God, it's not necessarily they just ignore God, um, but they hate him. I mean, the condition of the human heart, you hate him, and not only do you hate him, and not only do you want to erase him from your mind, that you want to erase him from everybody else's mind too. And this is the society that we find ourselves in. Um, many of you work in a place where everyone's not Christian. When you go into that place, what they want you to do is take your Christian faith and just make it private. Um, we don't want you thinking like that. We don't want, you, you want, we don't want that affecting your worldview or the way that you work. We want you to keep it over here. So that means on Sundays, um, as long as it's in a service, it's kind of private, I can talk about Jesus as much as I want. However, when you go to Intel, when you go to Bank of America or Wells Fargo or whatever school you teach at, when you get there, they want you to keep it private. And and not that you should be there preaching to everybody, but the the morality that flows from that. I was talking to a guy or listening to a guy talk the other day about some things that are happening in his work that they want to, sp- to sponsor him to do. But the behavior was so inconsistent with his faith that he goes to his boss and go, I can't in clear conscience do this. And his boss goes, I appreciate your faith. I'm glad that you're a committed Christian. However, leave that outside of here. Please don't let it come to your work. Meaning, get God out of here. Get him out of here. Like Keep him only in your heart. But we, but we know when we preach this, we can't just keep him in our heart. He's God. We can't just, just keep him in our private thoughts and our prayer life. It is going to affect everything. But Paul says when you don't have an understanding of God, when it starts with the mind and it breaks down everywhere else, it will go to your character. It will go to your character. And your character begins to dictate who you are. I, I remember um, there was a coach I had. And in his office, he had this this list, and you've probably seen it before, and it would always say, uh, be careful what you think, because your thoughts become your words. And be careful of your words, because your words become your habits. And be careful of your habits, because your habits become your character. And be careful of your character, because your character is who you are. And, and there was this kind of this breakdown from there. Well, what Paul has been doing from 18 to 32 is, if you reject God, there's a breakdown there where you've exchanged things. Then you're consumed with thoughts and passions that are not for him. And then you're filled with unrighteousness and your mind's been given over. And once your mind and your belief is shifted, everything else shift, has shifted. And now you're in a position where you are what we would call, what the Bible would call, lost. Lost. And even those of us who were in this room who are Christian going, but I find, myself, I find myself in some of these, these issues. Here's what would be the, the worst thing to do. The worst thing would be you. And it would be like us to do this. Is going, oh yeah, I see these things. I'm gonna fix them. I'm gonna fix them. Like you know what? Sometimes I'm insolent. Sometimes I'm I'm you know I'm greedy. I'm gonna fix that. And so we try to fix ourselves. In fact, many Christians do that. It's called sin management. We think if the best way for me to grow as a Christian, if I can just manage my sin, if I can kind of take care of these things over here and fix these things over here, then I can kind of live a nice, neat Christian life because everything else in my life, what I want to do is I want to fix it. I just want to correct it. I don't want to be seen as this person. But here's the problem that Paul's been trying to drive in you're there because of a worship issue. The way you got yourself into that is because you trusted in yourself, that you look to yourself. And you did not worship God. And so the pit that you find yourself in is because it's decision after decision, unbelief after unbelief, mistake after mistake, that you find yourself in the position that you're at. It was, a, it was a worship disorder. Therefore, the only way out is not looking to something that's already broken and that's yourself. By not trust, you don't trust in your own strength. That's how you got there. But the way that we get out and the only way we can get out is by turning, which is what repentance is, looking to God worshiping God, and then worshiping our way out in his strength, primarily in the gospel of his son Jesus, supplied, given to us the Holy Spirit. And so now the activity that we have completely flows in response to Christ. And so the worshiping that we have to get out of it is something that is given to us. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Um, Paul says this best in Romans chapter 12. So if you were in Romans 1, turn to the right to chapter 12. And and here's what he says here. This is in response to everything Paul has been saying. In fact, many theologians would say, you break down Romans this way. It's chapters one all the way through 11. So it's everything that we've just been reading all the way to verse 32, which essentially says when Paul wraps it up is that not only do we do these things, but we give approval of other people. Meaning our community now is no longer building people up, but our community is saying, hey, we're in this mess and you come in it with me. Like come down here because that's what we do. We don't sin in isolation. We want others to be with us. And that we want others to join with us in our mess. And then repentance looks like what Paul says here. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, what he's saying is, chapters 1 through 11, the issues have been, it's been a worship issue. We have not looked to God. We have not given ourselves to God. So now he's saying, no, therefore, worship God. Present your bodies to God. And, and, and he's saying here it's a spiritual act of worship. It's a sacrifice. And when it says your bodies, it means the totality of your being. That means your thought process. It means your hobbies, the things you do for fun, the, the things you choose to do, your decision-making, your relationships, everything of who you are, the way that you, you work, your vocation, it's to the Lord. It's saying that worship is not just reduced to an hour and a half here on a Sunday between 9, 10, 45, 5, and 7. But worship is all of life. That the same way that Paul from 18 to 32 is saying this is a, a descent of depravity, that this is all encompassing, that worship now has to be all encompassing, trusting in the work of Christ, that now you present yourself to God. And then the same way Paul started this morning with the mind goes everything else. Now there's a reversing of this in response to the gospel. Verse 2 says this Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Meaning the way we get out is by looking to the Lord, by looking to the work of Christ, by trusting in the power of Christ. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, Conformed is something that will happen naturally. That's 18 through 32 in chapter 1. It happens naturally. By birth, by living in a particular place, um, just by being human, you're constantly going to be pulled by the currents of this world. But he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed. Meaning that's something that has to happen from the outside. That's not something we can just look to ourselves. Looking to ourselves is where we get ourselves in the picture that Paul has been painting for the past four weeks. But looking to God is the picture that he gives us now. By trusting in Jesus, he says, that you are being transformed. And it says you are being transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by this, by the testing, you may discern, you may know what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. That means the way that we live in society starts first with what we believe. And if we can now change our belief from ourselves and from the things of this world back to the creator, then everything that has been undone, that has been unraveling since verse 18 to 32, now begins to be rewired, not by trusting in ourselves, by looking to our maker and our creator, most seen clearly in his son Jesus. And we need this renewal of of our mind. And I love that. Uh, Renewal means to come back and to refresh again and again. And here's why we need it again and again. As I said before, um, it's the currents of life. It makes us drift. No matter how strong of a Christian you are, no matter how strong you walk with the Lord, the the example of this is, I grew up in Southern California, and and many of you guys did too, is that when you have ever been in the beach, you you put your stuff down, you put your towel down, you put whatever you have there, and you get in the water and you swim. Now, you don't consciously or even intentionally swim a particular direction. However, wherever way the current's going, if you're swimming for a while, you'll look back up and realize, my stuff is way over here. How did I get here? And many of you find yourself there as Christians. I made a profession, I walked down an aisle, I made another profession, I promised my wife, I promised my husband, I promised myself, I promised, I I, I started out a certain way, I started reading my word, I started going back to church. Man, how did I get over here? Because if you are not constantly center set on the work of Christ, reminding you, reminding yourself what Christ has done for you, then you're constantly gonna be drifting. And you find yourself in the same pit that you were in before. Therefore, what Paul is saying here is saying with all the depravity, the way out is not by looking in, but by looking up again and again and again. Amen? I got one takeaway. One. Um, The way that you will constantly and consistently renew your mind, this is not going to be new. Read your Bible and pray really, really simple. However, it's amazing to me um, how many believers, people who love Jesus that I sit down with and I ask, how, how is your, your time with God, your devotion time, your quiet time, whatever it is you, 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 you call it, um, how is that going? And people say, I usually don't have it. Just, just think about this. If, something, if someone was dying of dehydration, and the one thing they need is fluids wouldn't they wouldn't they get fluids for themselves we are malnutrition with god's word and what we need is his word and intimacy with him dwelling with him through prayer that many of us and if this is you i pray the spirit bring conviction is that the only time that you hear the word of god being taught and read is on a sunday it is insufficient none of us are that good and we were never meant to be god is enough So hear me, reading the Bible does not make you right with God. Praying does not make you right with God. Jesus makes you right with God. And in worshiping in him, the the reason why you renew your mind is because you find yourself here forgetting the gospel of Christ. What helps you renew your mind, reminding of who you are before him as a worshiper of God and not self, is the word that he's given us because his word shapes us. So if you walk away on this Mother's Day and you say, what did Ricardo talk about on Mother's Day other than depravity? Read your Bibles and pray. Trust it in response to the good news of Jesus, Jesus Christ. The way that we worship our way out of our mess is in God's strength as we see revealed to us in his word and his person as we understand through the word of God and in prayer. Amen? Let's pray.